Hello, my name is Dan Copeland. I'm the author of the novel, Let It Be. And today I'm speaking with Arlene Schindler, the author of the comedy novel, The Last Place She'd Look. Welcome, Arlene. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you. How, 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 so you have a background in comedy? Were you actually a stand-up comic or? Yes, I was. I was a stand-up comic for a few years. Uh, my father was a stand-up comedian, so it was, uh, it was in my, in my home and in my, in my blood. And, uh, let's see. So, um, I wrote this humorous novel. Uh, as I was turning 50, about the frustrations of getting older. And now that I'm older, the frustrations have gotten even greater. And uh, one of the, the things in the book that I think anyone who is single and actively in the dating world might enjoy is uh, there's a chapter... Uh, uh, basically, this character, some people have said this character has no game. Everything that could possibly go bad on a blind date or a date or in a relationship goes bad in this book. And uh, one of the things is ever have a blind date who died before your first meeting. Because uh, uh, men are always afraid in, in the blind dating situation, men are always afraid women are going to be fat and women are always afraid men are going to be bald, but nobody thinks about the fact that somebody could actually die between, you know, the initial plan and the first date. So one of the things that happens in this particular chapter is she goes to meet this man at his sister's house, and she says, I, I hate to tell you this, but my brother passed, and uh, his funeral was two days ago, but we've heard such good things about you that the entire family wanted to meet you. So she ends up, instead of having a one-on-one -on -one first date, she uh, ends up in a, uh, in a backyard brunch in uh, a beautiful home with uh, seven members of her dead date's family. And first dates should be brimming with possibility, not fatality. Never met. Yes, exactly. Right. Yes. So how yes. how hard is it to write a comedy novel? Because I think, obviously, working as a stand-up comedy? comic, you always have the audience to, to get, yeah, you know, to get the feedback of how your jokes are going down, but. Writing comedy, it seems to me, is, is a much more deft art in that you really don't have any feedback from your audience. How did you approach that? Well, you kind of have a sense of what's funny. And, you know, like performing for a, co a comedy audience, each joke that, that you have, um, each audience you perform in front of has a totally different experience. I mean, I've seen world-famous comedians bomb in front of bad audiences with the same jokes that they had used, say, on a television show or in a, in a popular concert. So there is a variable. I mean, there are, there are people who have read my book and found it laugh-out-loud funny through and through, and there are... are other people who did not like it, you know, so I, 
I think it's mm-hmm. the same with, um, you know, with all aspects of comedy, that not everything is universal, but if, it's, if that's the paint box that you're used to uh, working with, then you just kind of work through uh, with that. Right. Now, this is your first novel, is that correct? Yes, but uh, I've been a working writer most of my life. I've been writing for newspapers and magazines and uh, doing short stories. I'm uh, also a storyteller on the uh, on the, uh, the spoken word circuit in Los Angeles. I'm actually in a show uh, tonight in the Valley at the Art Parlor on, uh, on La Cienica. And a lot of the mm-hmm. stories that I tell are about the hidden, hidden, uh, hidden lives of today's mature woman. And mostly mm-hmm. it's very funny because uh, most people don't think that older women have hidden lives or interesting lives. So uh, what was the process for, for moving from, you know, actually writing the novel? How long did it take you? Um, what was the thing that, that really incited you to sit in front of a computer to, to uh, produce this work? Well, um, after writing shorter pieces, I kind of wanted to go to a longer form. And um, I think most writers, most, most working writers, kind of have it on their bucket list to do books or compilations of essays or or something like that. So um, I had a lot of uh, dating stories from my own experience, from real life experience, and uh, from friends' experiences. Uh, I was also a self-help writer for women's magazines, so I did a lot of research and interviewed people for, for things, and I had you know, a whole, um, uh, a, a whole, a whole lot of uh, colorful experiences to pull from. So I fashioned it into a longer form, and probably each of my chapters could kind of function as a vignette. Almost, I, I kind of saw them as uh, pearls on a necklace that they were vignettes that were kind of strung together, but ideally with a a strong core that brought the reader reader through. There are there are four main characters, not on, not unlike Sex in the City, only they only they're older, and they each right. have uh, they each have different challenges that they wrestle with. Yeah. Right. So I see that your your book actually um, reached uh, number one in its category on the uh, Amazon sales rank. How did that make you feel? Well, it felt really good. I mean, that was um, at that at that point. I had done a. Uh, I mean, I had done a special sale. I had I've been doing a lot of marketing for the book, and. Uh, you know, I felt good that the book was getting out there and that people were reading it and people were enjoying it. Uh, a, a friend of mine was on uh, an, an airplane recently, and uh, she noticed that uh, the woman sitting next to her was reading my book. 
And as soon as she got home, she had to call and tell me because she she was excited because she knew my book so well. That's great. It's a very good That's feeling. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what surprised you most about this process of of writing your first book and getting it out to the public? That it takes so long. I mean, the the hard part was not the writing it. The hard part was the rewriting it and the editing and the re-editing and making sure that everything was was right. A lot of chapters moved around. Um, the ending, I, I worked with an editor who did not like mm-hmm. the, the ending, so I revised it a little bit, but ultimately I, I held on to my ending. So I, th- I think the, the, the rewriting process and the, the, the solitude of it can be, can be very challenging at times. Right. So how do you work? I mean, did did you have a, a pretty good idea of the the outline of the entire well, uh, arc of the book or did you just say, well, I'm going to start and see where it goes? Do you outline? Do you how did how did you approach it just from a mechanics point of view? Well, I outlined it first. I found the um the the storyline for each of the four main characters and I kind of uh created an outline for each of them and then I wove the four uh storylines, if you will, into uh into something uh co- cohesive because uh the the three of the four characters kind of guide the main character along her along her journey, and they each help her uh, uh, explore new parts of herself during her uh, during her birthday season. Right, right. So let me ask you: Do you think do you think your book is pure entertainment, or is it entertainment with a a moral message? How how do you how do you think about that when you write and, and about this particular book? Well, um, there are some people that find it to have an immoral message, um, and uh, a lot of right. my work recently has been considered controversial because uh, women after fifty are not uh, are not considered as. Uh, uh, noteworthy. I mean, li- living in Los Angeles, I feel as though as soon as you turn 50, there's a, a bus that shows up in front of your house, and they expect you to get onto it and leave the city. And mm-hmm. uh, just the the, fe- the feeling of being invisible, but in many ways, women after 50 are braver. I mean, when nobody's looking at you, you can mm-hmm. do anything. And I, what my book tries to do is it tries to encourage women to try new things and to be, to be braver and to kind of get in touch with the, the people, places, and things that they've always wanted to explore but for whatever reason were, were afraid or didn't have the time. Right. 
So it's it's kind of a, a nudge to empower people. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. That's great. And that that's also great. that, that every must... woman has something about her that's beautiful. Great. Great. So let's talk about my book for a little bit. Um, okay, sure. I don't know if you had a chance to get through all of it, but... Um, yes, I did. What What about my book? Oh, okay. But what surprised you most about it? I mean, did you have expectations going in? Did those expectations change as you read it? Were you reading it and all of a sudden you said, my goodness, I never thought of that? Well, the the book the book goes to a lot of different places, a lot of uh fantasy places, although the uh the thing that's kind of interesting is in many ways the book's re- the book really captures you and your uh some 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 of your um life experiences. I mean, one of the things that I would like to talk to you about, which I find really fascinating is um, you know, very few people can say that they've gone to film school and counter-terrorist training. And I'm right, very interested right. in finding out how that how that guides your work. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of meetings with death in my life, as, as I said in, in in some of my you know publicity materials. One of my earliest experiences or earliest memories is, is being five or four and sitting uh, with my grandmother right after she had had a heart attack. And then shortly after that, I, the next really vivid memory I have uh, was watching my mother um, collapse as she got the phone call that, that my grandmother, her mother, had died. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the earliest memories I have in my life. Um, and so, uh, and then when I was about 14, I, I actually almost died myself. I was very sick. Uh, I stood 5'11", you know, 5 feet 11 inches tall, and I only weighed 69 pounds. And um, by the time they got me to the emergency room, they uh, I later found out that if my mother had waited, uh, you know, a few more hours to bring me in, I would have been dead. So um, mm. at that you know, point in your adolescence, having that knowledge that that your life has been marked or touched by death certainly changed my view of the world. Um, and it was a, a much more um, alienating uh, position, you know, because con- uh, compared to all the people I was going to school with at the time, because they were all still in a in a bubble where they may not have been marked the way I had been marked. And um, the one thing that, that during the recovery period that, that really kept me engaged and helped me get mm-hmm. through it was movies, um, particularly mm-hmm. comedies. I would just love to laugh and I'd watch movies. And um, shortly after that experience, um, I decided to make my first film and, and I made the, uh, you know, a uh, um, I had my grandfather's old 16-millimeter camera, and we went out and made a, a silent movie, not unlike uh, the works of Buster Keaton mm-hmm. and Charlie Kaplan, and uh, it was called Freeloader, and it was a story of a kind of a vagabond who made his way through the world by freeing, freeloading off of everybody. Um, and I had all my brothers and, and the neighborhood kids uh, in the movie playing parts, and... Uh, 
uh, a side note, um, David Russell, the director of American Hustle, um, mm -hmm. grew up across the street from me, and he's actually in my very first film. He plays a bartender, and uh, oh, wow. he's kind of a ham, but uh, he was very funny. And um, mm -hmm. and that really, all of a sudden, I had a reason to live, or there was an excitement about the possibility mm -hmm. of making movies. And so that's really what got me through high school. I made movies throughout high school. Um, and we, I made uh, two films, one of which uh, was uh, a winner of a silver medal at the Atlanta International Film Festival. And then I made another film called Of Mirrors of Mind and Time, which was kind of a psychological thriller about a guy who wakes up one day and sees himself and doesn't like what he sees, so he tries to kill his image and ends up killing himself. And uh, mm -hmm. that actually ended up being uh, shown uh, at the Krakow International Film Festival in Poland. And um, I applied to two colleges. I got only into one. It was the NYU Film School. To this day, I don't know why they accepted me, but they did. Um, and uh, I went to film school. <laughs> and... Um, you know, uh, I ended up making working on a lot of other people's films. Unfortunately, I didn't have the money that was necessary to make a film at NYU Film School. Um, so that was kind of a disheartening thing. But I ended up um, working on a lot of other people's films and learning from that. And then um, I uh, graduated from NYU and uh, went into running movie theaters. And... Um, mm -hmm. And I managed uh, the Ziegfeld in New York City and the Baronet Cornet uh, and learned a lot. But, you know, I was always writing movies and I was always pitching, uh, trying to get ahead and, and sell projects. And, um, you know, uh, along the way of all this, there was the romantic Hemingway notion of uh, going off to war to prove yourself. And uh, this was a time when the... Uh, mm -hmm. The Contras were struggling in in Nicaragua, and uh, I I uh, I had a notion that I might go down there and and pull a Hemingway, so I, I decided to get some training mm -hmm. in order to be able to do that, and attended this uh, uh, counter terrorist uh, training facility down in Georgia, and uh, ended up uh, becoming an expert marksman and pistol and rifle combat. Um, having really never fired a weapon before, um, it was an interesting experience. Um, and then discretion became the better part of valor. Um, so that's how, kind of how that happened. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I think as a writer, it, you know, there I guess there are two ways to approach writing. You have to write what you know and write what you imagine can imagine. And I think in, yeah. in this book, I kind of melded the two of those together. Yes, I could see that. Uh, my my favorite scenes uh, did involve the uh, the uh, uh, I guess the the terrorist training and the the gun training. Uh, so I was wondering, what type of research did you do to? Uh, to write this book, and uh, I guess what are your, what are some of your favorite fantasy novels? Right. Well, I you know I've often 
been surprised by people who say, oh, I've got writer's block. And, and for me, I've never really had a problem writing. And I think the the thing that, that I do that makes writing uh, so manageable for me is that I always um, do research. In this case, I, I had... Uh, I, I, I always write from a place of anger. There has to be something that incites me to sit down in front of mm-hmm. a computer for the many lonely hours that it takes to write something. Originally, this, this novel had its genesis as a screenplay for, for the next film I wanted to make. Um, but the thing that really incited me was the, uh, the, uh, the, the rush to war right after 9-11 and how much of our mm-hmm. our foreign policy and our, our national dialogue seem to be driven by the revenge um, and how scary it was to observe that. And I really felt a sense of loss and uh, um, the diminished image of our America in the world, in the eyes of the world, and um, I was also going through a divorce at the time, so there was that sense of loss as well. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the experiences I had with death, uh, it all kind of uh, fermented into this, this story of what might happen um, if a man were challenged by the angel of death to, you know, confront mm-hmm. the concepts of revenge and whether he would make the right choice. Uh, you know, for his life and for his eternal life. Um, so that's kind of mm-hmm. how the story started in my head. And once I had that framework, um, I was able to, you know, watch movies that uh, that kind of touched on the subject. I read some books. Um, and I was able to, you know, come up with a, a um, an outline of the story and that once you have that, then you're never staring at a blank page when you sit down to write because you know kind of where mm-hmm. you are on the roadmap and where you need to get. Um, and this one actually wrote itself very quickly. I think I had I completed a first draft of the screenplay with in about five weeks, um, which surprised the hell out of me. Um, there were some days when I wrote like 15 or 20 pages. Mm-hmm. It just really flowed out of me. Um, and so I was, you know, some of the novels that have been, the, the writers that have inspired me that uh, have some influence in, in this story of mine, let it be, um, Carlos Castaneda, um, is one, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the, uh, Jean Cocteau's film Orpheus obviously, had a very big impact yeah. on me right after I came out of the hospital when I was 14. Also, Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. That film really resonated with me because yeah. I had grown up being a chess player and then watching this this poor knight play a game of chess with death really reflected how I viewed my place in the world, that indeed I had done the same. So that kind of all all uh, molded in, and then uh, you know I just kind of let my imagination go and said what what you know I wanted to I, I mean I wrote a book because I wanted to have a good time writing it, and I also wanted to say wow let's see you know this would make a really cool story I hope people you know enjoy this wild ride and and the roller coaster of it. Um, 
And, um, you know, the thing that surprised me most about it is the, you know, the, the reviews from complete strangers who I've never met who, you know, really liked it a lot. And that in itself is a really great reward because, you know, I think as, as an artist, you're always wondering how your work is being played by the people who consume it and use it. And to hear people respond to it, um, you know, really validates the effort that you put into it. So that's kind of it. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, what surprised you most about the book? Uh, That I was able to finish it and get it published. Uh, is one thing right also uh just you know the some some of the reactions uh my book is available on amazon in uh in kindle and paperback the last place she'd look and uh it was very interesting to see that you know what people said when they when they liked it when they enjoyed it and of course and these were people that i didn't know either and some some people have become fans, and you know that that's a very exciting experience. And also to do, to do certain things later in life that you either wanted to do when you were younger or that you didn't think would uh, would happen. You know that I've mm. I've gone to I've I've done readings from my book and actually gotten to to meet people and sign books and hear hear people's enthusiasm. So it it's been a good experience for me when I find people who've uh, enjoyed the book. And on the flip right. side, when people dislike the book and they they write a lot, I mean in a way that's great too because whatever I wrote moved them so much that they had to uh that they had to talk about it. You know, so mm-hmm. e- even creating a negative impression is better than, oh yeah, I I read that, you know, and then they're just kind of you know done, and it's like one potato chip. Indeed. So, what would what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking of writing their very first book? Well, um, it's it's a very difficult experience. It's actually, after having been a working writer for a few decades, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I think a lot like filmmaking, you need to find a story or something that you want to say that you're really willing to commit uh, a lot of time and energy and very long days or nights or months or years to uh, perfecting the telling of that story. Is this the story right. you really want to yeah, tell? Is this the story you have to mantra. tell? Indeed. Yeah. I'm, I've always told people, yeah. if it doesn't keep me awake at night, it's not worth pursuing. So, Well, yeah. listen, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Arlene. Uh, where can people, I know thank you just you. said, but uh, where can people get your books? And will you be doing any re- uh, signings in the near future? Uh, not that I'm aware of in the near future. Um, you can look for me on Amazon. Uh, it's the last place you'd look. It's also available on Barnes & Noble. And if you want to find anything relating to my uh, 
spoken word appearances or any of the other projects that I'm working on, you can go to ArleneSchindler.com. That's S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R. Thank you. And I, I'm Dan Copeland, the author of Let It Be, a fantasy novel about what happens when death falls in love. And that book is also available from Amazon, both in paperback and digital versions, and also available from Barnes & Noble. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye for now.